Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. What you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. A good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. Hey, hey, let's roll into a brand new week. How you doing? Oh, hope you're having a great day. April 18th, that means we're five days away from the culmination of spring football practice, the annual blue-gold football game at Notre Dame Stadium. Hope you're ready for it. I know I am. You will hear that broadcast live right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Darren Pritchett and I will have the call Saturday afternoon. It uh, starts at 1 o'clock. Forecast for Saturday is, uh, well, i tell you what, it's head and shoulders better than what we've had today. I can tell you that much. Snow this morning, some this afternoon, rain falling as well cold rain springtime in south bend baby but saturday it calls for what could end up being the best day that we've had of spring so far mostly sunny skies high right around 79 degrees i mean especially considering what today is i don't think you could ask for more by saturday supposed to get nicer as this week goes on saturday though again culmination of not only spring football practice but culmination weather-wise hopefully of this week and what should be good um, again, live blue gold game Saturday, one o'clock right here. WSBT first chance to see Marcus Freeman's newly assembled coaching staff in action. New defensive coordinator, Al Golden's defense. See that for the first time, all that Saturday. And although I would imagine that like last year when Marcus Freeman was coaching his first Notre Dame defense for the first time, we'll probably see a fairly vanilla defense Saturday, but still. You know, new staff, different faces. They're drafting the team Wednesday morning. They're going to do a live draft. That's a little bit new. So hard to believe, though, it's been a little bit more than four months since Brian Kelly bolted for LSU in the middle of the night. Marcus Freeman took over. And, well, I'll be honest, I keep thinking that we're going to be able to stop talking about Brian Kelly. But every time I do, something new pops up. All the interviews he's had with the national media outlets. We've talked about him over the past couple of weeks. And just when you think it couldn't get much crazier, there's a crazy new social media story involving Brian Kelly that is directly related to Notre Dame. And it is just so insane it almost seems too good and mostly too crazy to be true but here we are so get ready for this because I, I feel a little bit dirty 
talking about this. I'll be honest with you. I almost feel like Jerry Springer or Mari Povich or, you know, one of those guys with this one. But here we go down this rabbit hole. So a few days ago, Brian Kelly's Instagram account posted a screenshot of a tweet to its Instagram story. So this is Brian Kelly's official Instagram account post a screenshot from a tweet that somebody posted. And here's what the the tweet that was posted in that screenshot said. Quote, Everyone who is connected with sources inside the current program knows Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick is retiring in two years along with President Jenkins. Jack wanted to please the people so he didn't search for a coach and hired Marcus. Hope he made the right choice, but I doubt it. End quote. So, Again, Brian Kelly's Instagram account posted a screenshot of that tweet. So that was up for a short time on Brian Kelly's official Instagram account. But then it was taken down pretty quickly. The Twitter account in question, you're going to love this. Here's the Twitter handle, at Stinky17302153. That's the... the, uh, that's the Twitter account that came from Stinky17302153. But again, Brian Kelly's Instagram account posted that tweet. That account was created, though, about a month after Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. It currently, as of earlier this afternoon, was following nobody. Had 91 followers the last I checked before uh, came on the show this afternoon, but was following no one. But it had previously been following 17 accounts before the whole this tweet goes to Brian Kelly's Instagram and all this different stuff. That account was following Brian Kelly himself. It was following Brian Polian, who, of course, was an assistant special teams coordinator, one-time recruiting coordinator under Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, now with him at LSU. And it was also following Brian Kelly's three children, two sons and a daughter. We don't have to name names. You know, follow him closely enough, you know who they are. But that, So that Twitter account, post that tweet, everyone who is connected with sources inside the current program knows Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick is retiring in two years along with President Jenkins Jack wanted to please the people, so he didn't search for a coach. He hired Marcus. Hope he made the right choice, but I doubt it. So, at the time, that Twitter account posted that tweet, and Brian Kelly's Instagram account took a screenshot of that and put it up on Kelly's Instagram account. It was following Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, and Brian Kelly's three children among a select few other uh, you know, a total of 17 people. As of today, since this story has kind of, uh, you know, been making the rounds over the weekend, it unfollowed everyone. It is no longer following anyone. The name on the account also last week was Dr. Rice. Today it is Dan Everett. Um, so, since the tweet I just read was posted last week, most of the account's other tweets have been deleted. There are still a couple of tweets remaining, including this one. Quote, 
High school coaches know Freeman's been on shaky ground since day one. They're telling their kids to find a more stable landing spot, end quote. So going after Marcus Freeman and recruiting, a hot hot topic when it comes to both Freeman and Brian Kelly. One, Marcus Freeman, a strength recruiting. The other, Brian Kelly, even though LSU fans would tell you otherwise, not so much a strength. Maybe a strength of the staff but not the head coach himself. Here's another tweet currently up on this Twitter account. Quote, name another blue blood with a 33-plus year dry spell. Alabama, Texas, LSU, etc. overcame temp struggles by reinvesting into proven winners. BK repaired the wreckage from Weiss's tenure, made NCG in year three, but prideful ND admins declined to make necessary tweaks to elevate program, end quote. So again, that you know, very pro-Kelly there, talking about how essentially, you know, again, NCG national championship game that Kelly made in the third year. All these very pro-Kelly things coming from this Twitter account. So that tweet was deleted over the weekend but here's another one quote bk was set for life financially before signing that contract he's not motivated by the almighty dollar bk had plenty of chances to leave before lsu called this move was about opportunity and autonomy both he and his family felt like it was the right time to make a move end quote so again all these tweets coming from the same twitter account at stinky 173021531 and a screenshot of the first tweet that I read was posted to Brian Kelly's Instagram story. That Twitter account used to follow Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, Brian Kelly's three kids, and a very few other um, people. But it no longer follow. It now follows nobody. It unfollowed all of them over the weekend after people started talking about these tweets, mostly talking about Brian Kelly's Instagram account posting. That first one. So now go back to that first tweet I read, the one that Brian Kelly's official Instagram account posted a screenshot of. This one, quote, everyone who's connected with sources inside the current program knows, in caps, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick is retiring in two years along with President Jenkins. Jack wanted to please the people so he didn't search for a coach and hired Marcus. Hope he made the right choice, but I doubt it, end quote. Now, I'm not a private investigator, far from it. Did watch a lot of Rockford files back in the day, but by the way, do you notice how like back in the 70s the private investigator drama was like the big thing, you know, back in the 70s if you were around back then, but it's like you don't see private eye TV shows anymore. Kind of miss this, but I digress. But so when you read when you when you read or hear that tweet that I just read, at the very least It appears to be written by someone who's claiming, well, not it appears, it's written by someone who is at the very least claiming to have some inside knowledge of what's going on at Notre Dame. Talking about Jack Swarbrick, Father Jenkins, claiming they're both going to be retiring within a couple of years and they have this plan to go out together, you know, retire together in two years. And then whoever this person is goes on to use first names as well. It's not Jack Swarbrick or Swarbrick, it's Jack. Familiar. It's also not Freeman or Marcus Freeman. It's Marcus. Familiar. 
You know, so it again, at the very least, it hints at some kind of familiarity with Freeman and Swarbrick. And notice I didn't call either, you know, I didn't call them by their first names, Freeman, Swarbrick. And then again, you've got this tweet, quote, BK was set for life financially before signing that contract. He's not motivated by the almighty dollar. BK had plenty of chances to leave before LSU called. This move was about opportunity and autonomy. Both he and his family felt like it was the right time to make a move, end quote. Again, at the very least, person tweeting this claims to have some kind of inside knowledge of what Brian Kelly is thinking, talking about what his family is thinking. They felt like it was the right time. And that opportunity and autonomy line, that is a very, like, <laughs> feels like something that could come right out of Brian Kelly's mouth, doesn't it? I mean, and this time, he's not calling Brian Kelly Brian, or Kelly, as they were, you know, but not calling him Brian as they referred to, you know, he called Swarbrick Jack and he called Freeman Marcus, but he doesn't say Brian. He says BK, or they say BK. You know, so if it's Brian Kelly, he's obviously not going to say, I was set for life financially, or I had plenty of chances to leave before LSU called. Maybe it would feel a little bit weird if you're tweeting something like that to you, you know, to go first or you know, third person, I guess, and say the actual name. But I just so now the fact that this Twitter account was only following a few accounts, most of them were either Brian Kelly himself, Brian Kelly's kids, or Brian Polian. I have a hard time believing, very hard time believing my. Now this is just me, and again, I've read all these tweets and I've gone back and I've looked at all this stuff. Very hard to believe this is not Brian Kelly's burner account. When you look at all of these tweets and you dissect them, maybe it's you know confirmation bias. I don't know. But we've already spent the past two weeks with stories from the Associated Press, CBS Sports, and then the Sports Illustrated story that came out last week. Brian Kelly blaming Notre Dame and his former players at Notre Dame for all of his problems. And now, after all of that... After all this uproar and turmoil, you know, stuff over the last couple of weeks talking about Brian Kelly and what adult he is and, and you know, blaming and whining and blaming Notre Dame for all of his problems and chefs and all this different stuff. It's like all of a sudden, after all of that, here comes this Twitter account at Stinky17302153. And it is very publicly tweeting pro-Brian Kelly propaganda. All the tweets that I just read you. It is all obviously very pro-Brian Kelly. Now, maybe there are a lot of Brian, you know, there could be Brian Kelly fans out there doing that. But again, go back to the very first one. Brian Kelly's official Instagram account. We know for a fact that that is him. It tweeted a screenshot or it posted a screenshot of a tweet from this account. And, I mean, nothing wrong if you're a Brian Kelly fan, you stick up for your guy or whatever, but it's not someone, like, again, if you look at this Twitter account, it's not someone who's identifying as an LSU fan or a Notre Dame fan or really anyone from that matter. It is intentionally trying to be a very vague account. And again, it is currently not following anyone after following all those Brian Kelly-related people just a week ago. It has unfollowed everybody right now. And again, nothing wrong with any of it, but why unfollow 
all of those accounts right after everyone finds out that Brian Kelly's Instagram account shared a pro Brian Kelly screenshot that's disparaging Marcus Freeman just a few days ago. All seems pretty ego driven, doesn't it? You know, news got a pretty big ego. Ah, Brian Kelly, we find out we, you know, we found that out with all the stuff that came out with those first two articles a couple of weeks ago, if we didn't already have that inclination. And now, apparently the ego's so fragile that he just can't handle all the praise that Marcus Freeman's getting for his recruiting with the number one recruiting class in the country and all this stuff. I guess it dropped the notch because there was a decommitment over the weekend, and we'll talk with Brian Driscoll about that in a minute. But he's so hurt that nobody's praising him for his greatness and all the games that he won at Notre Dame that now sure looks like he's had to create a burner Twitter account so that he can throw some shade at Freeman, Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, Father Jenkins, anyone else who gets in his way. So again, we don't know for sure that this is Brian Kelly's burner account, but the only, you know, the only thing this person has tweeted about is Brian Kelly related. And it is all very pro Brian Kelly. And, and again, when you look at the tweets, there, it's it's all stuff that also claims to have some kind of inside knowledge of what's going on at Notre Dame. People with sources and what Brian Kelly, you know, the, the move was best for Brian Kelly and his family and it's not about money and he had other opportunities to leave Notre Dame before the LSU and all this kind of stuff. It's not a stretch to think that if it's not Brian Kelly's account, the very least, it's someone who's very close to Brian Kelly. You know, Brian Polian was in the defend Brian Kelly at all cost mode last year. Remember signing day, press conference after people criticized Kelly for his lack of involvement in recruiting. And then Brian uh, Brian Polian, the recruiting coordinator at the time, first thing he had to do, you know, was come out at the recruiting day press conference and talk about how great Brian Kelly was with his recruiting and how involved he was in recruiting and all these things, despite reports to the very contrary and you know could be polian could be one of brian kelly's kids they def- they've defended their dad on twitter in the past and again nothing wrong with defending your dad but you know i've seen and heard a lot of things i didn't think we'd be talking about brian kelly <laughs> in the case of the telltale twitter account <laughs> today but here we are and look do we know for a f- again do we know for a fact this is brian kelly's burner account no Basically a rumor at this point. But as Hans Landa once said, I love rumors. Rumors can be so misleading. But rumors, true or false, they're often revealing. You just you just got to love it at this point. You just got to love it. And, um, well, we'll talk a bit more about this in just a minute with Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. I'm sure he's going to love talking more about BK because it's one of his favorite topics but we will do that when we return we've got uh, some recruiting stuff we'll get into with him and some actual football stuff that we'll get into with brian driscoll as well uh, some different things happening over the weekend and uh, just all you know blue gold game again coming up this saturday as well so we've got all that to come here on budweiser's weekday sports beat and we are brought to you by budweiser the king of beers locally distributed by united beverage company of south bend sports fans this bunch for you by Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. 
Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger's a Story We Can End. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. We'll take a timeout. Brian Driscoll joins me next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. We're five days away from the Blue Gold football game at Notre Dame Stadium. Going to be... Going to be much better weather, if the forecast holds, much better weather than what we're having right now. I'll guarantee you that, Brian Driscoll. If the forecast holds. Yeah. If. This is, in, this is in northern Indiana we, in April. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath on that one. That's, that's why I gave you that caveat there. <laughs> that's exactly right. Smart move. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not a weather person. I don't claim to be a weather person. I just look at what they give us. So, mm-hmm. um, this is just crazy. I, I spent the last segment talking about this whole Twitter, Instagram thing. I'm going to read you three of the tweets from at stinky one seven three zero two one five three. Now, again, this first one was screenshotted and shared to Brian Kelly's official Instagram account. Over the weekend. The other two um, remain up on on this Twitter account. So, okay. So, here we go. Three tweets from this Twitter account that used to follow Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, all three of Brian Kelly's kids, but have since unfollowed them since uh, people started talking about this over the last few days. So, here's the first tweet that was shared to Brian Kelly's Instagram account. Quote, Everyone who is connected with sources inside the current program knows Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick is retiring in two years along with President Jenkins. Jack wanted to please the people, so he didn't search for a coach and hired Marcus. Hope he made the right choice, but I doubt it, end quote. Now again, as I was just talking about in the last segment, that tweet has since been deleted by this account, but it was shared on Brian Kelly's Instagram account. Okay, tweet number two. This one's still up there. Quote, name another blue blood with a 33-plus year dry spell. Alabama, Texas, LSU, etc. overcame temp struggles by reinvesting into proven winners. BK repaired the wreckage from Weiss's tenure, made NCG in year three, but prideful ND admins declined to make necessary tweaks to elevate program. End quote. And now this final one is still up as well. Quote, BK was set for life financially before signing that contract. He's not motivated by the almighty dollar. BK had plenty of chances to leave before LSU called. This move was about opportunity and autonomy. Both he and his family felt like it was the right time to make a move. End quote. So Brian Driscoll. (laughs) Do you think Brian Kelly has a burner Twitter account? I can't believe got to talk about this, but... I don't think it's Brian Kelly. That's just my thing. I I think it is someone associated with Brian Kelly. The thing you have to understand about Brian Kelly, and this is something I've been dealing with for years, Brian Kelly is, he is, look, I've said this before many, many times. Brian Kelly is a politician. 
and he has a politician's background. If you know the story of his dad, and uh, right. this isn't a criticism, I've met his parents. They are really sweet people, very nice people. And it's not an immediate criticism to say that you're a politician. No. But politicians are really good at knowing how to get other people to do their dirty work. Right. Right. And that's what I think this is. I don't think this is Brian Kelly on a burner account tweeting things. I think this is Brian Kelly in conversations with people that, that know kind of know what to do. Right. And then it's that whole plausible deniability thing. Exactly. I don't think he's stupid enough to be on his phone in his office at LSU tweeting this. Do I think it could be. You wouldn't think you so. Know, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I just. He barely, you know, did his own tweeting. You know what I mean? But so when you look I at do, the wording I, of some of this, it, you know, like what you're saying, it might not be him with his thumbs, you know, on the exactly. keypad. It's but it looks it him. almost looks like it was yeah. an official release given to someone to yes. send out, you know, some it's of this stuff. It's coming from him. Yeah. But you'll never be able to trace it back directly to him. Uh -huh. and, and that's well, where the political background comes. With and the exception so of the Instagram of just, thing, but Right. Well, but again, I mean, it's not like other people don't have his account info on Instagram. That, you know, that could have been a mistake where somebody True. Has, look, true. Let me explain something. So like, I know I know this to be true. A lot of these head coaches have ways of having assistants and GAs and recruiting people be able to not only just text from their phones and tweet from their stuff and DM kids and all that kind of stuff. That's just a reality. You think you think Urban Meyer when he was at Ohio State was like spending all day DMing kids, or do you think like other people had access to his accounts and they were no exactly that, right? exactly like and the official Brian? Ke I mean, it's the same with celebrities. Like the official right. celebrity account is run by the manager or the PR right. person or whoever. It's yeah. most of the time. I like it's these not... releases are like, I know that guy and he never has talked like that right. in his life. That came from a lawyer. <laughs> right. And that's the case here. In my opinion. So, so is it his burner account? No, it is a burner account. And I think, is it connected to Brian Kelly? I would imagine so a lot. Because here's the thing. A lot of the stuff like about Swarbrick and Jenkins, that's stuff that's I've been hearing for over a year, Sean. I know you have too about that. So that's that's you know that's kind of something that people with inside info at Notre Dame have. It's not just some random dude on Twitter, most likely. Right. And a lot of that other stuff is just peak Brian Kelly pettiness. It's like maybe you're not getting enough attention. You're upset. I really think that Brian Kelly thought when he left, the Notre Dame fan base would just like be wailing and like you know. Right. Just, what are we gonna do? Right. You know, <laughs> like tearing their cloth and you know it's like getting old testament on. You know, tearing their cloth, shaving their heads, and just spending the next thirty years and crying prayer you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i think that's what he thought it would be i don't think he expected this rejoicing of like you know ding dong the witch is dead more of a response from people and and then the fact that marcus freeman is doing so well and has been received so well and you know is doing things where like it, it is it a coincidence that all this happened right after marcus freeman did the thing with the mass and the articles that came out for me and other people about how marcus freeman's embracing the traditions and all of a sudden you get all this nonsense from brian kelly because he's not getting enough attention right and, you know, that to me is, it, it's just, it's peak Brian Kelly. And this is, this is who he's been for years. It's just now Notre Dame fans are finally seeing it because he's not their guy. But this is, this is who Brian Kelly has always been. Always been. Nothing more that we need to say at this point. We've got some other topics <laughs> we can, we can get to. Let me just ask you this though. I was going to ask you this last week. We ran out of time because we kind of had, um, we had the commitment of Jabron pain last week so we had to kind of move things around do you think he needs to win a championship at LSU to validate his decision to leave 
Notre Dame? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if he goes 11-2 and two and 10-3 and three every year, then it's like, okay, you did the same thing there as you did at Notre Dame, and yet you – because like, he has put this on himself, right? Like, he's basically said, I came here to win a championship, and Notre Dame held me back. Held you back. You went 11-2 and two and 12-1 and one and 10-2 and two and 10-3 and three the last five years, right? So, yeah, I think he has to do that. And, you know, for people to say, oh, it's not about money <laughs> – then why did you complain so much about the pay raise? Like we, everyone that has any kind of sources knows that he got his feelings hurt because Jack wouldn't give him yet another pay raise. Right. So so don't talk to me about it's not a pay raise. You're really going to tell me you left because they wouldn't give you an on-campus chef and a nutritionist? Well, you had a nutritionist because you took him with you to LSU, right? So, I mean, it, the whole thing is just so absurd and petty. And Brian Kelly has been – and this happens too. We see this all the time with, with politicians and people that kind of – when they get outside their bubble, their protective bubble, they, they kind of forget like, oh, all the people that have been carrying water for me the last several years aren't carrying water for me anymore. So now I've got a – like, oh, wow, they're actually writing negative things about me. It's not just that Driscoll guy over that one website that's kind of coming <laughs> at me. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and, and I just – I don't think he knows how to handle it. So you're seeing some of this petty stuff and, you know, like, you know, uh, the, the program wouldn't do tweaks. I mean, I've co- talked about this before. Notre Dame raised and spent almost a billion dollars the last 10 years. Not quite, but just under a billion dollars the last 10 years in upgrading the football facility. Right, you just now got the best one of the best indoor facilities in the business. You just got recently built. You know, they've spent a ton of money on the practice facilities, renovating the football stadium, the recruiting operation, all that stuff. Jack Swarbrick went the bat to make sure you could hire Marcus Freeman a year ago financially. So it's just the typical Brian Kelly, woe is me, it's everybody else's fault. Yeah. Nonsense. And that's just who he is. It's everybody else. As I said last week, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame went 113 and 0. Notre Dame is 0-39. They're the reason for the 39 losses. Right. 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 So that's how it goes. Yeah, and I mean, he might not have gotten the Goog renovations, but they did do the campus crossroads, and, you know, that obviously had an impact, you know, with with the football program. That's not why they lost, Sean. No, I – That's the whole point. Like, that's the – I completely agree. I completely agree. It's just – Yeah. It's like, you know, you didn't lose you didn't lose to Northwestern because you didn't have an on campus chef, right? right? You know, you didn't get beat by Michigan forty five to fourteen because, you know, the Goog isn't as, as nice as what Michigan's facilities are. You know, you didn't get go down and get blasted. Miami doesn't even have their own stadium. And they blasted you forty one to eight, you know, when you had a, a national championship opportunity in two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Then two weeks later, you went out and got your butts whooped and, and blew a fourth quarter lead against Stanford. Does anyone want to tell me that Stanford has better resources for their football program than Notre Dame? <laughs> right, and that's the the utter nonsense. It's like it's not just Clemson and Alabama that kept kept you from winning a championship. It was you. It was Miami. It was Stanford. It was Tulsa. It was Northwestern. It was two losses to Navy. It was losing to a three and nine Michigan State team and a four and eight Duke team at home. That's why you didn't win a championship, Notre Dame. It's not because of the nutritionist or the goog or anything else. It was it was your decisions as a head coach, and he'll never embrace that. And that's why I'm here to remind him and everyone else that it, it was his decisions and his. Like, the school did not make him keep Brian Van Gorder for three years. Right. The school did not make him keep. You know, Paul Jeff Longo Quinn. for as long as he did. And Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander, no, nobody forced him to do that. That was all him because he wanted to surround himself with yes men instead of the best of the best. Yep. And, you know, when he did finally get some of the best of the best, he had problems with them. He butted heads with Harry Heastan all the time. You know, there were some things I've heard about how he viewed Marcus Freeman and he didn't like a lot of the, 
the the and this doesn't come from you know the coaches this isn't me telling you what the coaches are telling this is some other people that have always been giving me good intel Brian Kelly didn't really like how much credit and, and love Marcus Freeman was getting. Of course. And that's why at press conferences this year, he would always be real critical of the defense, but always give the offensive pass, even though everybody with a brain knew that the defense not only carried the team this past year, but in previous years, and had similar issues with Clark Lee, when Clark Lee started getting a little bit too much love. So right. that's who Brian Kelly is, and he's the reason he never won a championship in Notre Dame, and he'll be the reason why he won't win a championship at LSU, in my opinion. Brian Driscoll's with us from irishbreakdown.com. A couple recruiting things I wanted to touch on today. They lost the commitment of the uh, the corner, Justin Rett, who was on a visit to Georgia over the weekend. So how significant do you think this is? It's a loss. It's a loss. There's a lot more to this than just he visited Georgia. And there, you know, there's some other things that, that, uh, that we put on our premium board. But th this was a decision that I think was both sides felt it was the best thing to do moving forward. But it's a loss. Whatever the reason, it's a loss. He's a top 100. I graded him as a top 150 recruit. Cornerback is a very important position in this class. He's a big physical kid, comes from a great program. And it's a loss, right? And so it, it's, it reminds me a lot of the Will Shipley loss a couple years ago. Okay. Where they thought they were going to get him. And, and, and really they just stopped recruiting other running backs. And then they lost him. But at the end of the day, they were able to rebound to get Logan Diggs and Altrick Estime. So it worked out pretty well. So that's really where they're at now is, okay, you had this loss. This is a tough loss. There's no spinning it any other way than this is a loss. But now what are you going to finish with, right? And I think that's the key for Notre Dame moving forward is it's early. You've got some really talented players on the board, but now you got to land them. The margin for error just got a lot, a lot thinner when it comes to the cornerback recruiting. So uh, it's a loss, but they put they, there were three other guys on the board that they really liked. Now they're in a position where they can take all three of them if they're able to land them. And then the other thing, Braylon James, the wide receiver we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, he is announcing his commitment tomorrow. Now, he he tweeted three, I assume that's central time, so 4 o'clock our time, I believe, right? Well, that was a, that was something about today. He had some other thing that was going on today that was at 3 ah, o'clock central. Okay. So, so he will be announcing his decision tomorrow. Right. It's going to be around 7, 7.30 Eastern. Oh, uh, so it won't so be till like after a, us tomorrow. Okay. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so it'll after be later the show. In the day, so yeah. Correct. Yeah, there was some miscommunication on people thinking that the, the 3 p.m. tweet was a changing his commitment time. It, it'll be tomorrow night. Uh, we'll have a show live during it where we'll carry his, his decision, and then we'll talk about what it means for Notre Dame in one way or the other. But – Notre Dame has done a great, great job in this recruitment, and uh, they've put themselves in a good position now. It's about just awaiting that final word to, to see what Braylon has decided. All right, we'll see. Big uh, big opportunity for Notre Dame, especially for the offensive side of the ball, wide receiver from Texas tomorrow. Uh, well, okay, so one final thought. Well, I'll talk to you later in the week, obviously, but with the blue-gold game coming up Saturday, give me one thing besides the quarterbacks, because that's the obvious one, but one thing besides the quarterbacks that, that you're really maybe looking for Saturday. I really want to see the offensive line, and I don't really care about the number of sacks. I just want to see him play hard. I want to see a unit that goes out there and plays physical and gets after it and competes, and I just want to see that the mindset, the identity, the, you know, just the, the compete level of the offensive line has changed, because I think that will really set the tone for everybody else. And so we've heard good things about it, but I want to see that group go out. I want this to look like a Harry Heastan offensive line from a from a, a toughness standpoint and a competitiveness standpoint. And and if that if I come out of the game feeling that, I don't really care what happens everywhere else because you know me, you know me, Sean. I don't put a lot in spring games. Yeah. But the one thing you can get a lot out of spring game is where's your compete level. I think those are the things you look for. Where's your compete level? And if we see that from the offensive line, then I'm going to feel like this spring was a success. All right. 
Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. What else is going on there right now? Tons of recruiting stuff. So obviously Notre Dame, the Blue Gold game this weekend. There's some big-time, big-time players on campus this weekend. We have updates on two of the biggest on our site already. We've got – I just got two texts from Ryan during the show about two other articles he now has uploaded in the – I'm like, dude, you got to slow down. I don't have time to edit all these <laughs> stories you're doing. Sean Davis just had a great story about uh, Christian Gray, the cornerback from St. Louis, speaking of corners. Uh, he visited last week. We have a recap of that. He also is setting his – he set his commitment date for July 4th. So he'll be announcing between Notre Dame, Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State on July 4th. So a lot okay. going on, Sean. And I'm going to try to work in some team stuff because that, you know, we've been there's been so much recruiting news that we haven't had a chance to get a lot of team stuff. But the next couple of weeks, I'll have a ton, a ton of team analysis for you. Sounds like a plan to me, and we'll have more on recruiting tomorrow coming up here at this time on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Brian, great as always. I will talk to you later this week. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Right, absolutely. Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. Speaking of the blue gold game, my five question of the day coming up, I'll give you five offensive players I'm looking at this Saturday at the blue gold game, which you'll hear right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. That's next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. This is the My Five Question of the Day. Can you dig it? On Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. My Five Question of the Day. Five offensive players I'm curious about going into Saturday's Blue Gold football game at Notre Dame Stadium and here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Number five is wide receiver Dion Colsey. I mean, it's the most concerning position on the team going into this offseason or you know in this offseason heading toward next season this is a guy Notre Dame really needs to emerge this season pretty highly touted you know what he does or doesn't do in the spring game that's not going to determine his production in the fall but it can at least give us an idea of where he is and and seeing something from Jaden Thomas would be pretty good too but Colsey is uh more important I think we know what Lorenzo Styles can give we know basically what the other guys can give as well Number four is running back Audric Estime. And like Mickey told Rocky, this guy is a wrecking machine, and he's hungry. And Estime, the biggest of the running backs, 5'11", almost 230 pounds, just a bulldozer, a wrecking machine, if you will. And, you know, we got to see just a hint of him last season as a freshman. And with the team split, for the, you know, for the blue gold game, potentially more reps for him, I'd really like to see what he can do between the tackles. A little beast mode action, maybe. So I've got a running back and a receiver, my first two. My number three is another running back, Jadarius Price. True freshman running back, four-star, early enrollee. He's flashed from time to time this spring. 5'10", 190, about 15 pounds lighter than Logan Diggs. Got a little flash and slash to him. And I want to see what this guy can do. We haven't got to see him, you know, really fully in action. This is our first chance to get to see this guy, especially with another incoming freshman, Jabron Payne, coming in. He's on the way in the fall. So big opportunity maybe for Price to kind of show himself. Number two guy I want to see, of course, it's quarterback, Drew Pine. And, I mean, is this a true quarterback competition or is it just a formality and only a matter of time until Tyler Buckner is crowned the starter? What's Drew Pine got? We only got to see him in two games last year. You know, he was a 50% passer, basically. Has he improved since then? Let's see what he's got on Saturday. So, again, 
Five offensive players I'm curious about going into Saturday's Blue Gold game. Number five, wide receiver Deion Colsey. Number four, running back Audric Estime, the big guy. Number three, freshman, true freshman, early enrollee, running back Jadarius Price. Number two, quarterback Drew Pine. And number one, of course, it's the other quarterback. Guy at the top of the list, Tyler Buckner, because he's the guy, you know, we've been waiting for. Four-star quarterback. We saw him, you know, as the package guy last year, pretty raw, but he could run. We saw his running ability in the blue-gold game last year. But what's he look like now running an entire offense? How comfortable does he look? He showed earlier this spring when the media got to see him at the full open practice, the only full open practice. He looked more comfortable there, but now we need to see if he looks close to the part of a guy who can actually go to Ohio State and win in September. So those are my five guys. I'm offensive guys i'm most curious about seeing the blue gold game saturday afternoon and again you'll hear it right here on sports radio 960 am wsbt a timeout a sports center update and then the six o'clock hour comes jesse will join me for rapid fire that's coming up on budweiser's weekday sports beat you're listening to budweiser's weekday sports beat with sean styers On Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Jesse Styers tonight on this Monday, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Hour 2 in Rapid Fire. And Jesse, you're in Cleveland. It sounds like you're pretty much getting the crappy weather that we've been getting all day here as well. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, you wake up to snow on the ground. And not only is it snowing, but it snowed for a consistent, you know, three, four hours. Um, all things were kind of shut down today. The Guardians and White Sox got shut down. Most yeah. importantly, my slow pitch softball league got <laughs> shut down for the night. I'm still trying to make my debut. Um, got to crush some home runs in week. slow pitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I told my 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 friends and teammates that I, I am going up there with a straight drop nuke approach, and that is it. <laughs> it is home run or nothing with my swing. All this right. Year. All right. Well, good luck with that once the season actually gets started. But uh, not to, you've been canceled the last two Mondays. Bummer, huh? Yeah. So we were supposed to start last week. Of course, last week was the only day of the week where there was just rain all day. Yeah. Today there was the mixture of snow, kind of sleety rain all day. So it looks like the season's going to be pushed back another week. Um, but like I told our team, that's just another week that we can get get a, get a practice in together. That's we right. The cages. We can all get better here a little bit before before going out there because, you know, if, if we uh, we had a little practice last week and just let me say uh, we are in need of some work. You need it, yeah. <laughs> Been yes, there before. Been there before. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just jump into the juiciness of this uh, crazy social media Brian Kelly story. Now, there's there's a lot to it. I gotta I gotta set this up. If if our listeners, if you, if you weren't listening. In the first hour, and you haven't heard this things, I'll just I'll, I'll set it up, try to explain it the best that I can, and it's just too crazy, really. So, a few days ago, Brian Kelly's official Instagram account 
posts a screenshot of a tweet to its Instagram story. Here is what that tweet in the screenshot said. Quote, Everyone who is connected with sources inside the current program knows Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick is retiring in two years along with President Jenkins. Jack wanted to please the people, so he didn't search for a coach and hired Marcus. Hope he made the right choice, but I doubt it. End quote. So again, a screenshot of that tweet was posted for a short time on Brian Kelly's official Instagram account before it was deleted, taken down. The Twitter account in question goes by the handle at Stinky17302153. Catchy little Twitter handle, huh? Okay, so that account was created about a month after Brian Kelly left Notre Dame. It current It's currently not following anyone right now. But as of last week, when that tweet that I just read was tweeted and shared to Brian Kelly's Instagram account, it followed 17 different accounts, including Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, who, of course, followed Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU, and it also followed Brian Kelly's three children. Now, the name on the account last week was also Dr. Rice. Today, it's Dan Everett. So, since that tweet that I read was posted last week, most of the account's other tweets have been deleted. But there are still a couple of tweets remaining. Here's one of them. Quote, High school coaches know Freeman's been on shaky ground since day one. They're telling their kids to find a more stable landing spot. End quote. Now that is a uh, reply to a story about recruiting. Here's another one that is still up there on this account. Quote, Name another blue blood with a 33-plus year dry spell. Alabama, Texas, LSU, etc. overcame temp struggles by reinvesting into proven winners. BK repaired the wreckage from Weiss's tenure, made NCG in year three, but prideful ND admins declined to make necessary tweaks to elevate program. End quote. Sounds very similar to... A lot of things that we heard in those articles a couple of weeks ago, the Associated Press and CBS Sports. Now, that was tweeted over the weekend. Here's another one from this account. Quote, BK was set for life financially before signing that contract. He's not motivated by the almighty dollar. BK had plenty of chances to leave before LSU called. This move was about opportunity and autonomy. Both he and his family felt like it was the right time to make a move. End quote. So, again, All these tweets from the same account, and the first tweet that I read from this account was shared to Brian Kelly's personal, official Instagram account, but was deleted. And after that was deleted, basically, uh, and people started talking about this, this Twitter account, which was once following Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, and Brian Kelly's three kids, is now not following anyone. So... Lot to uh, to, uh, to this, <laughs> Jess. What do you think of it? And do you think that this is uh, Brian Kelly's burner account? You know, first of all, I, I took a I took a, a glance at these tweets myself today during a little break, and I thought actually some of the funnier things were the responses that these tweets were getting. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> some of them say, "Hello, Coach. Hi, Brian. <laughs> Everything going okay down there?" Yeah. And, and so it's just like. 
you start reading these, and then you, 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 one guy says, "I've heard, you know, Brian Kelly used the word uh, autonomy, 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 autonomy." Sorry, uh, in his everyday language. That's a very Bill he, Simmons thing to say, by the way. Like, <laughs> if you ever listen to Bill Simmons, not, you know, it's all right. <laughs> So then you start looking at the tweets themselves a little bit more, and it's like, this is kind of up Brian Kelly's, like, vocabulary, the way he speaks. Like, name another blue blood with 33-plus-year dry spell. You know, BK repaired the wreckage from Weiss' tenure, made national championship game in year three, but prideful Notre Dame admins declined to make necessary tweaks. Yes. Here's what I'm going to say, first of all. If this isn't Brian Kelly's direct burner account, it's at least his indirect burner account. And what I mean by that is he, he's, he's either the one with that account on his phone making the tweets himself, or he sends those tweets maybe in the form of text to someone else, and they're the ones actually physically tweeting it from their, uh-huh. from their phone. And I, I think the latter Like a third-party go-between, yeah. Yes, I think the latter is more likely the case. I don't think Brian Kelly is dumb enough. Um, I still, I think he's in tune with society having, uh, the kids that he does, the age that they're at, you know, they're both in college. He, he, he knows about social media. So I don't think it's directly his burner, but I do think that Brian Kelly has a couple things that he's firing off here and he's, he's sending them off to, you know, whoever this might be. And they're the owners of this stinky blah, 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 blah account. Right. And they're the ones making the tweets on behalf of Brian Kelly. Well, because... You, you know, you're you're younger, you're in your 20s, your mid-20s, and you're more, you know, tuned into, like, social media lingo and, you know, all the lingo. That, you, you, and, like, you know what, you know the grammar and all that kind of stuff that a lot of people tweet with. These are very grammatically correct tweets, Right. Correct. They don't look like just some schmo sitting in his basement or wherever firing off tweets, you know, with improper grammar and put like these are all very well punctuated, very grammatically developed. correct. Yeah, like developed is a great way to look at it because like Brian Driscoll and I were talking earlier and celebrity. Well, I mean, coaches in general, like the head coaches, especially of these high profile programs even their own official twitter accounts like they're not in charge of cultivating all the tweets that come out of these accounts they might hand it you know to a media relations person or you know somebody else and they're tweeting you know even like the social media people and they're tweeting a lot of these different things for them and it's the same with celebrities actors and and whoever else they're not actually doing all the tweeting or sharing of the the stuff on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it happens to be, they're handing it off to a PR person or a manager or whoever, and they're doing a lot of this stuff for them. And these just look like, you know, again, like when you read these tweets and you look at the punctuation, the grammar, and everything else, they're all very well thought out, and they also have a lot of inside information. And go ahead. Yeah, just to kind of going off piggyback off what you're saying here is, you know, I, I spent a good time of this morning watching uh, the Pat McAfee clip where he talked about this last week. If, if there's people out there who haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend going out there watching. It's a 10 minute clip uh, from Pat McAfee's show from last Thursday where he talks about this. And a good point that he brings up 
is, you know, if it's not Brian Kelly, like you were saying, it's got to be an intern or someone on a PR team that handles all of his social media accounts. So then it, it comes into the, the first thing that comes to question is, okay, why did Brian Kelly have the screenshot first? You know, like why? And then second of all, how does it go from, was he trying to send it to someone on Instagram? Because there's no way intern or Brian Kelly that that is meant to get posted on his actual Instagram. Right. Was he trying to DM somebody and accidentally posted it to his Twitter story? You know, something along those lines. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think he I think something happened where it got fumbled. You know, I do it every now and then on on Instagram's kind of interfaces. You know, you kind of have to navigate to what you want to post on your story. Right. Like you want to post. You you think you're DMing somebody and you end up tweeting it publicly. You know, that kind of thing. Right, so it now becomes did Brian, if, it, if Brian Kelly himself is the one who sent it out there, he's got the screenshot in his own phone, so he knows about it, obviously, or he's having an intern do it, and they obviously know about the tweet and it did the same thing. You know, yeah, yeah. So Brian Kelly at least knows about this, and I, kind of going forward, what I find the the most coincidental is that this gets accidentally posted to his Instagram. Just a few days after former LSU coach Ed Orgeron visits Notre Dame mm-hmm. and gave a very passionate speech to the players about how they can win it all with the talent in the room and especially with the extraordinary coaching coaching staff, staff. Yep, that is around them. And then the next thing I find pretty coincidental is that this account's main target is posting about Freeman's recruits and recruiting ability, uh, and, and this comes after Brian Kelly essentially blamed his failures at Notre Dame due to the lack of recruits and that he reached his ceiling with the players that he could get. Right. Yet Marcus Freeman is out there so far with the number two recruiting class in 2023 and is the top recruiter in the 2022-2023 rankings as we speak right now. So you can't tell me that those two things, you know, aren't just coincidence. <laughs> he these these this account is taking a very pointed shot at, you know, these recruits and trying to come up with some, you know, uh, up, or kind of uneasiness so that the potential of these recruits wanting to maybe, I don't know, decommit from Notre Dame, leave from Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, it's, when it's Brian Kelly's whole point is that he couldn't get the recruits that he wanted to win. Right. I mean, it's negative recruiting, you know, that goes on all the time from coaches and you usually don't see it out in the open on social media. But when, when a recruit visits and, and a coach knows that recruit that the recruit is is visiting you know one two three four other schools and he's in there you know it's basically like well why do you want to go there and and then they you know they start doing the negative stuff knocking well you know you're you well you're not going to get the playing time there here's what's wrong with that program or this coach and all that you know they they start bad mouthing the other program again you don't typically see it <laughs> out in the open on social media but like you read these tweets and there are two direct shots at Marcus Freeman that this account is taking. And again, it's an account it, it, that was shared on Brian Kelly's own Instagram, taking direct shots at Marcus Freeman, taking shots at the administration uh, for, you know, for the way that they did things, basically saying that they were being lazy by hiring Marcus Freeman. They were just trying to appease people you know, by, by hiring Marcus Freeman and, you know, you know, going back on the same kind of stuff that Brian Kelly was talking about in those stories a couple of weeks ago about, you know, they wouldn't make the tweaks necessary to elevate the program 
again, you know, it's not Brian Kelly's fault. It's the administration's fault. All these kind of things that these tweets are talking about. And again, like when you look at the kind of inside information that is being shared in these tweets, if it's not Brian Kelly, it sure looks like, you know, again, it, it's it at the very least someone who is very close to Brian Kelly and, you know, if Brian Kelly, if, if they don't have the knowledge themselves, they're being fed the knowledge and sharing that on this Twitter account, you know. So it's it, it, just like what we were talking about earlier with, with Brian Kelly. Very ego-driven, like when you look at this. All of a sudden his feelings are hurt because he's not getting the praise. People weren't falling over you know, beside themselves and, and wailing and crying when Brian Kelly decided to leave to go to LSU. And now his, his uh, you know, the guy who came after him, Marcus Freeman, is getting this praise both in recruiting and for his people skills, all these different things. And, you know, just like you said, not long after all this stuff came out, here's, here's this Twitter account, you know, taking all these different shots at him. So I, I don't think it's very hard to connect the dots. Again, if it's not Brian Kelly, and, and it would make sense that it's not, but it sure appears to be somebody pretty close to him. Yeah, and I think another big indicator is you, you talked about who the account follows. So, you know, Brian Kelly... Used to follow. To, <laughs> right, used to follow. But Brian Kelly is aware of this tweet. You know, it got posted to his story. It got taken down. He knows about this in a roundabout way, whether or not he wants to admit that he does. But the fact that that account followed personal people in Brian Kelly's life, his yes. children, I think that is the biggest indication that Okay, well, if this if Brian Kelly knows about it and he's comfortable with this account following his children, then I think that is a very clear indication that he has something to do with it in some way. Because as a father, I feel like if this is an account that is, you know, out of the ordinary or maybe doing something sketchy and you realize that they're following your children, you're going to immediately shut it down. Right. Exactly. And, and luckily for Brian Kelly, you know, the, the spring season is over, so he doesn't have to come to the mic and answer for all this stuff at this point. But, you know, it's it's just like, okay, I've got my own account and I've had other accounts, you know, I'm talking about my Twitter, you know, that are like related to either the show or the stations or, you know, places that I've worked for. So like when you when you when you start up a new account and you don't have a lot, you know, like who do you follow where you start following people that, you know, <laughs> and, and again, you know, it's just like, so it the fact that. It used to follow Brian Kelly, Brian Polian, and Kelly's three kids as of last week. But as this stuff, you know, right after this whole Instagram share, you know, thing happened, it unfollowed all these accounts, and now it follows nobody. Coincidence? I just, I don't think so. Too so, many coincidences to fall fall in line. Yep, yep. So it's crazy. Just another level to this whole thing. And again, all these stories that we had about Brian Kelly last week. You know, again, pointing fingers and blaming everybody but himself for all the uh, issues or reasons that he had to leave Notre Dame to go to LSU, all this different stuff. And now recruiting is also being involved in this. And Marcus Freeman has had the number one recruiting class. And now, you know, this again, this this account that sure does seem to know a lot of different stuff is also taking shots you know, at, at recruiting and trying to say that high school coaches are, are trying to tell their players to stay away from Freeman and all this different stuff. So just a lot of craziness connected to it. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got more rapid fire. We've got baseball path we're going to go down. We've also got another 
Notre Dame-related question that we're going to get to. That is coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat and Rapid Fire continue on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT with Jesse Styers, Sean Styers. Got another Notre Dame question for you, Jess. The Irish are a 10.5-point Vegas underdog for the season opener at Ohio State. Meanwhile, Isaiah Foskey is the, has the third-best odds at plus 900 to win the Chuck Bednarik Award as the nation's best defensive player this season. So which of those two bets would you be most comfortable dropping, say, $500 on in a wager? I would be more comfortable dropping a $500 bet on Notre Dame to cover the spread uh, in the home opener against Ohio State. Um, just just a quick question for you. Do you know the last time Ohio State has lost an opening game the, to start their season? Man, good question. No. I'm, most people probably don't know this, but I was kind of I just wanted to dig up and you know kind of see what stuff I could find. And Ohio State hasn't lost an opening game since the 1999-2000 season in which they played a quality opponent. Uh, in its opening game and played Miami of Florida. Ooh, now, in okay. those, in those uh, over the last 10 years... Back when the Hurricanes well, were still really good, you know, 1999. Right, it, essentially. And so I, I started to look at, you know, Ohio State's... When I made my decision, I was making it, looking at Ohio State's margin of victory, you know, over the last 10 years or so. And, you know, you start to see opponents who they're playing, and they're playing like Buffalo and, you know, Akron and Miami of Ohio. Right, a lot of max, yeah. Yeah, so it's okay. So uh, their average margin of victory over the last 10, 10 years is 32 points. So in home opener or home opening games, they're winning by a margin of 32 points. Uh, Notre Dame in those same 10 years average a margin of 21 points. Now they lost one game in those 10 years, and that was a double overtime game to Texas. But in all the other games and their wins, they were in a margin of victory of 21 points. You know, despite those numbers, because we're, we're looking at 10 and a half spread, and we're saying that Ohio State usually wins their home and openers by 32 points. But you got to take into account, like I was saying, the teams that they're playing in those games. So despite the numbers, I just think there are so many variables in game one compared to game 12. So when you see a matchup of two top 10 teams in the first game, uh, it, it, I think it's going to go either one of two ways. It's going to be a very close one possession game, or we're going to see kind of a blowout three, four possession type game. And we know that Ohio State has had limited failures on offense as they bring back one of the best quarterbacks in the game. They bring back one of the best running backs in the game. Mm -hmm. And we saw what those young wide receivers can do uh, based off their Rose Bowl uh, appearance last year when guys like Chris Olave and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but they decided to sit right. because of you know their their potential in NFL. Uh, so we saw like uh, guys like Injubo out there. Uh, we saw Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. And, you know, and they they lit it up. They still had great numbers out there. Yep. Yeah. So offensively, what I'm saying is they're not going to struggle. Struggle. However, like Ohio State teams of the past, their kryptonite or their weakness is going to be their defensive ability. That's going to be the biggest kind of question mark that they have going in next year. And, you know, even though they brought in the new defensive coordinator, I just don't think you can expect immediate change game one. You know, there, you can go through all the practices you want in the spring and fall camp, but there's nothing that simulates a real game, especially when going against an opponent like Notre Dame, because quite frankly, Notre Dame has had one of the better defenses 
and all college football consistently, you know, over the last three to four years. And Notre Dame is more experienced and has more defensive depth and will have to do things to really throw Stroud off of his game, like disguising coverages, making maybe bringing some sort of pressure in his face. So he can't just sit back there all game because if he does that, then I don't I think Ohio State will easily cover the spread. Yeah. Now Notre Dame's offense may be the question mark of this game as you know, they, they might not have enough firepower to keep up with o- Ohio State. Um, now, when it comes to the, the best defensive player award, I think it's just too hard to predict that sort of thing. And it definitely isn't something I would just throw $500 at. Now, if I made, <laughs> if, I, if like $500 was equivalent to maybe $10 to me, then yeah, sure, I, I might think about it. Right. But with such such high payoff, you know, yeah, if, it, if a $500 bet hits at plus 900, that's obviously going to be way more than a $500 bet and you, if you're just covering, you know, when you're betting on Notre Dame just to cover the spread. So there's a lot to take into account when you're considering a whole season of performance by one player and not just one game performance yeah. by one team. Yeah. So there's always guys that, uh, that, and to me, there's always guys that kind of come and go off this list that were nowhere on the radar, you know, kind of right now or week one. Yeah, he might be the third best right now. But the guy that's maybe 20 best that, best that no one knows about but puts in a great offseason and, you know, really prepares himself might jump up to the top of that list. So for me, I'm more comfortable betting that $500 kind of just off the stuff I just talked about um, because of, you know, there's more things that can be controlled in a singular game uh, than an entire season. A lot of great points. Uh, first and foremost, I'm not going to be throwing around 500 bucks on a wager on either of these things, but I wanted, <laughs> I you know, because of kind of what you were talking about, oh, it's like, oh, it's at 50 bucks. Well, you might feel comfortable throwing 50 at either one of these things, even 100 bucks or, you know. So I wanted to make it, you know, a significant enough bet that you had to think about which do I really feel most comfortable on? Because, you know, like, Isaiah Foskey, everyone knows this guy has great ability and talent and, and everything else. But at the same time, you know, I think that we kind of thought we were going to see more from him last year. Even though he had a good year, I still think we thought we were going to see even more from him, you know, than than what we did see. He had a great year, which is why he's now in this conversation in Vegas. You know, and and like if you think about it, plus nine hundred odds, I mean, you'd get a pretty good return on plus nine hundred if you threw five hundred bucks at that. But which would I feel more comfortable throwing five hundred on? The ten and a half Notre Dame for a lot of the reasons that you talked about. Now, biggest concern going into this game has got to be Notre Dame's secondary. Even though the safeties, you know, we're pretty confident there, you know, what are what are we going to see up front? with the corners and coming out of that Oklahoma state game in the Fiesta bowl, it's a legitimate concern. Like if you weigh what you saw from backup wide receivers against, you know, for Ohio state in the Rose bowl against Utah compared to what we saw from Notre Dame secondary frontline guys against Oklahoma state, especially in the second half of that one. But I still, I still feel 10 and a half points is, is a pretty big number. And for a lot of the stuff that you talked about opening game, all these different things, you know, Ohio State's going to have a new defensive coordinator. Notre Dame has a new defensive coordinator. They've also they're also going to have though a new quarterback calling the signals. You know that that can go either way for Notre Dame. But I think that based on what we saw from Tommy Reese and his ability in a span of just a few weeks to prepare an offense that Oklahoma State was not ready for in the first half of the Fiesta Bowl, 
you know, I think that he can put something together with, but you know, we assume Tyler Buckner and some of these different skill position guys. I, I, I like, I like Notre Dame's chances. Ten and a half points is too big, so I, I feel much more comfortable that I would throw the five hundred at that rather than, as you said, over the course of an entire season, Isaiah Foskey. Because to win an award like that, you're just going to have to have one of the most dominant. You know, you're obviously going to to have one of the most dominant seasons that's going to harken back to like Manti Teo, Jalen Smith type years, you know, so much harder to do, I think. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, Marcus Freeman first game as, you know, obviously he had the, the Fiesta, the Fiesta bowl game, but this is Marcus Freeman's true first game as, as at the helm for a full whole season, mm-hmm. going back to his alma mater. I just really think the last thing that is going to happen is he's not going to have them prepared for a game like that. Yep. All right, moving on. Fill in the blank. New Chicago Cubs, Seiya Suzuki is blank. Seiya Suzuki is the consistency that the Cubs lineup needed. In other terms, he is the he is perfect for what the Cubs needed offensively, honestly. He has been the de- definition of consistent in the first nine games so far with the Cubs. It was also just announced today that he was the NL Player of the Week after yeah. putting up a stat line of 10 hits, four home runs, nine base on balls, 11 RBIs, and a 400 batting average. I think the most important stat to look at is his strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, in his last full year in, as a Japanese player in the Japanese league, Suzuki had 87 base on balls and 88 strikeouts. That is a one-to-one ratio. You ask anyone in MLB, what you know for a guy like Seiya Suzuki, a guy that's going to put up home runs and RBIs, you ask them if he can put up a one-to-one ratio. What that means to them—that's excellence. You know, if you can if you can have a one-to-one ratio, meaning that you strike out for every one of your strikeouts, you're going to get a base on balls. Those basically cancel out, in my opinion. So yeah. when I first heard that, I thought there's no way he could replicate this or maintain that ratio against Major League Baseball pitching. There's just no way. The the pitching is better. it's at a higher you know level there's just better players but so far he's on that pace with nine walks and nine strikeouts so again the one-to-one ratio if he can maintain this ratio along with the pace of his rbis and home runs and the way you know his his plate discipline i think this is a guy you know call me dramatic but if he can continue (laughs) numbers like this this is a serious mvp type discussion if you can put up home runs and RBIs and average a base on ball every strikeout that you have, I, I just feel like that is someone that has to be at least in contention. You know, I'm not saying he is the MVP, right? But if he puts up numbers like that, you can't tell me that he's not in the top five, and certainly not the top ten at the end of the year when it comes to the MVP discussion. I just don't know how realistic it is that he can maintain that pace with such a small sample size right now. But ideally, if Suzuki can manage, you know, maybe even a, just a, a three to four ratio where he has maybe you know three three strike or four strikeouts to every three walks. I would still consider that a major success, and that's a big part of his game is his plate discipline and swinging at his pitches. I think he sits at the machine probably 500 pitches per day and has that thing spitting out spitting out balls, and he turns back to a guy behind him. He says ball or strike because it seems like that man does not string or does not swing at balls. He has some of the best plate discipline yeah. I've seen in a long time. And I think if you can, can, like I said, if you can continue that with the other numbers of RBIs, getting hits, getting on base, home runs, 
He's going to be what the Cubs needed this year uh, when they didn't want to re-sign guys like Rizzo, Baez, or Chris Bryant. And it, hell, you can even throw in Kyle Schwarber into that conversation yeah. if you would like as well. He's a star that they needed for sure. And it's like you kind of never know what you're going to get with some of these Japanese players because even though they've played in <laughs> Japanese, you know, just like you said, it's like we're not, we, we haven't watched him every day. We've never really heard of him. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, the Cubs went out and got Seiya Suzuki. Okay, well, what are they going to get from him? The guy's 27 years old, and you just rattled off all the great things about him. And like you were talking for a long time there about strikeout-to-walk ratio, for example, Chris Bryant has twice as many strikeouts right now as he has walks, but Seiya Suzuki is even. And you're talking, and, and that's almost unheard of in today's game. And like they used to say, Ichiro, by comparison, they used to like Ichiro would be blasting home runs at times in batting practice, but that was never his approach, obviously. He was much more a contact guy, and they used to say if Ichiro wanted to, he could crank out the home runs. And so, like, just looking at Seiya Suzuki in this small sample size so far, it's almost like an advanced Ichiro that you've seen because he's got. One, the plate discipline. As you said, he's not striking out a lot. But two, he's also already hit four home runs and driven in 11 RBIs. And it's the kind of player that the Cubs needed after losing all those stars last year. He's, you know, he's, he's a great piece for them right now. And, and he's producing. And it's, to me, it's always fun when you, when you, when you get something like this you know, from, from a guy who, again, like I wasn't really sure what to expect. Now the big question is, can he sustain it? For the long run, because again, we're, we're talking about what a week, a little bit more than a week that he's done it. Can he sustain it now? Because they need somebody in the lineup like him who can give them that kind of production after losing everything they lost last season. Right. They need someone that they can consistently lean on day in and day out. I don't think Ian Happ is that guy. I don't think Wilson Contreras is that guy, you know, based on his workload as a catcher. Um, and, and just like I was saying, the, the, the consistency. Suzuki averages one base on ball, one hit, one RBI, and one strikeout every game. <laughs> I mean, if you could do that for the whole year, I not just, bad. I, I would be, yeah, I would be fascinated. And it's, it's just like it's, it's kind of like a game of Russian roulette, you know, when you sign these Japanese guys. You mm -hmm. don't know what's gonna happen. The Cubs did it back when they did it with Kosuke Fukudome. Right. He started hot, turned turned out to be kind of a dud. Exactly and what I was thinking. Is, that's. That's what I get. You know, I don't want to be overreacting right now because, you know, if you if you would have asked, you know, Cubs fans what they thought of Kosuke Fukudome in his first month as a Cub, they probably thought he was going to go on to be one of the one of the better Cubs to ever do it. Yeah. And he fizzled out. So unfortunately, all we can do is just kind of wait and see uh, what happens the rest of the season. But so far, you know, I, I, I might have to get a Suzuki jersey if, <laughs> if we're being honest. That's right. Yeah, I know. You got to get rid of that Javi Baez jersey now, I guess. Or just sell it to one of my Detroit Tigers friends or something. There you know. go. All right, we'll take a timeout, and then we'll wrap up with more rapid fire right after this on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Rapid fire, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We got time for about one more question here. Jess, uh, another Cubs-related question. Aaron Judge, of course, outfielder for the New York Yankees, turned down a reported seven-year, $213 million contract to stay with the Yankees. Chicago media personality David Kaplan says the Cubs should go all-in to sign Judge 
in the offseason. So do you buy or sell that? No, first of all, I'll say that I, I actually do buy this 100%. And I was watching A-Rod and Michael K uh, last night on ESPN's new telecast, K-Rod. The K-Rod, yeah. Yeah, and Chris Mad Dog Russo uh, was on the show. and they were, we? they were discussing <laughs> this topic. And what really baffles me is two points. One, Judge turned down the offer of $30 million a year. That's what $213 million over seven years is. Mm-hmm. Um, after saying that he wanted to be a Yankee for life. Um, and second, that he won't be discussing his contract during the season as he doesn't want it to affect his play. Now, I don't know about you, but if my boss came into my office and said, hey, <laughs> we want to offer you $5 million a year instead of $1 million a year, I would sit down and make sure to get every penny that they're willing to throw at me. And it's not like, you know, we're talking like he's going to get underpaid here at $30 million a year. And so the money would motivate me, not the opposite. When you look at Bryce Harper's deal, he gets $330 million for 13 years. That's $25 million a year. Mike Trout, $426 million a year for 12 years. $35 million a year. Mookie Becks, $365 million over 12 years. So $25 million a year. Those are the top three paid outfielders in the game right now. Right. So we're talking $35 million a year, $30 million a year, $25 million a year. So Aaron Judge, if he signed that contract, would be the second highest paid outfielder in the game, only behind Mike Trout. Um, and so if I'm Aaron Judge, how can I turn down $30 million a year when that's the same clip as Mookie Betts and you make more money than Bryce Harper and the only guy that's making more than me is Mike Trout, but oh, Mike Trout has three MVPs sitting in his trophy case. So <laughs> I, I think he might deserve that extra $5 million a year. Now, how this transitions into the Cubs, the Cubs have the fifth highest paid outfielder in the game right now in Jason Hayward still. And that contract was signed back in 2016. His contract of $184 million over eight years averages out to $25 million a year still for, for, the, for the Jason Hayward fans out there. And that locks him up to through the 200 or the 2023 season through next season. Yeah. If the Cubs can afford Jason Hayward, uh, whose production has rapidly declined since uh, offensive production has rapidly declined since signing that contract, then there should absolutely be no way that they can't cough up $30 million a year in in today's market uh, to sign judge and capitalize off, off of more offensive production. So I think that's a home run of a deal if they can get it done and if they could pursue it. Great. But the question is, will they actually do it? <laughs> well, here's here's my problem with Aaron Judge because you you know you outlined everything great about Aaron Judge. He's played six years, he's played more than 112 games twice, and hit more than 27 home runs twice. So it, it's not a player with a great track record, and he's 29 years old, and we're talking about a seven year contract that he turned down. So that gets you to 36 years old, and so like you're talking about the Jason Hayward contract. Which, like, health-wise, Jason Hayward has been fine. But if he's turning down seven years, that means he wants at least seven years, if not more, because they all want the long-term contract. So, you know, you've already made a mistake with Jason Hayward, like the example that you're using, and given him an eight-year contract. You know, again, from a health standpoint, it turned out fine, but the production was not there. So do you want to double down now on a 29-year-old who's only played in more than 112 games twice and go that long on him. Like, how confident are you you're going to get that kind of long-term production out of Aaron Judge? You know, to me, that's that's the biggest thing. You've made a mistake 
and maybe that's going to turn you know the Cubs off to some of these long-term contracts because they wouldn't give some of their own guys these long-term contracts. You know whether it was Rizzo or Schwarber or Chris Bryant. So I've I've got to be a little bit hesitant with a guy who's got a record of some injuries and how long I'm willing to lock him up for a guy who's already 29 years old. Yeah, you make a good point. I, you know, I, I, I failed to mention and failed to, to remember that K, on the K-Rod uh, cast last night, they actually did bring this up. A-Rod point blank said, if you are getting a seven-year deal at $30 million for the amount of games that Aaron Judge has played and the amount of times that he, striked, he strikes out, how do you not take a deal like that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, that also kind of slips my mind, but I, I, don't, I would not like to see the Cubs make a similar, <laughs> similar mistake. <laughs> And uh, I guess I, you know, they signed Hayward when he was at 26, right? Um, and the market was a little bit smaller. Um, so you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think I'd like to see them ultimately make that mistake again. And I think it's very dumb on Aaron Judge's part for not for not capitalizing on that contract. Yeah, I know. It's like you wonder, does he just not want to be a New York Yankee at this point? You know, how much does that play into it, or does he really think he can test the open market and get more than a seven-year contract? Because there's a lot of money there for him. All right, Jess, great stuff as always. I guess uh, no softball for you tonight, so stay warm, and <laughs> I'll talk to you later this week. Sounds good. I uh, Thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you again this week. Yep, absolutely. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend, Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. That's going to do it for Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight. We will talk to you Tomorrow, Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT South Bend. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Call 574-855-8588.